Well, Merry Christmas. Christmas. You could still say Merry Christmas. It is a wonderful thing to be with you uh, here. Uh, For those of you who um, don't know me, uh, I'm Pastor Tom Van Duzer, and uh, there's a picture of a guy that looks a lot like me down the hallway, uh, only he is a lot younger uh, than I am, and it's a joy to be back. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was reminding uh, Alan that um, my last service with you as your pastor actually occurred on Christmas Eve 2004, so 15 years ago. So uh, after 15 years, and it's wonderful to um, uh, be with you here on this Christmas. Uh, Mary and I, I just retired from 40 years of ministry and uh, seeing where God lands us uh, here in these coming years. But, uh, you know, Christmas is uh, such a time of kindness and wonder. And if your Christmas cards were uh, like mine, maybe you got a picture of Mary and Joseph, the holy family, uh, with mom and dad and Mary and Joseph looking calm and bright on that silent night. It's all so sweet and so pure and so innocent. And in fact, if you're like me, you probably envision them much like any other American family having their first child, a beautiful mother a handsome father, uh, born in middle America in a nice uh, subdivision in the suburbs. And they're also well-groomed. They're also uh, pretty knowledgeable about this new baby. And in the complete peace that comes from being wealthy and in control. And in fact, if you're like me, from northern European descent, You might even envision Mary as a blonde and the little baby as a uh, a little towhead, you know, looking a lot like uh, your mother did or my mother did. Away in a manger, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. But on this Sunday after Christmas, we're reminded that Christmas uh, was not so nice and neat. Peace was not on the whole world. In fact, Matthew reminds us this. Uh, You might want to look it up in your Bible. I'm going to have to look at it here because I cannot see that text there. That is way too small, Alan. Yeah, okay, anyway. It says, okay, and when they had gone, that's the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Uh, He was sleeping. Get up. Don't wait till morning. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to try to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. They left that night. I mean, they ran. They were refugees. It's coming. If you stay till morning, somebody's dead. They stayed until the death of Herod. Now, we know from the rest of this text in Matthew 2, that Herod killed all the children under two years old in Bethlehem. And this was not just legend. As a matter of fact, we know more about Herod than we do about, um, uh, about Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar. Uh, the uh, the uh, Hebrew uh, or Jewish uh, historian Josephus wrote uh, voluminously about Herod. Uh, Herod was not a nice guy. As a matter of fact, he had ten wives... Wives, you can poke your husbands there, no no hair. Because uh, one of them he didn't trust, so he had her executed. As a matter of fact, he had a number of sons, and he had three of those executed. 
One day, he invited the high priest over for a swimming party at the palace. He didn't like the high priest. He drowned him in the pool. Herod was not a nice guy. He was a very, very autocratic ruler. And so it was nothing for him. As a matter of fact, when he was dying, uh, Josephus tells us that he knew people hated him. Uh, he was a politician. He was unsurpassed. He got his way. But uh, he knew that people hated him, and he wanted there at least to be a little weeping at his funeral. So he ordered that all the leading uh, the dignitaries in Jerusalem be brought to the Jerusalem Colosseum, and on the moment of his death, that they would all be executed. At least then there would be weeping when he died. This is the kind of thought process this man went through. And uh, by the way, they didn't do that because he was dead, and so somebody had some sense uh, uh, there. Uh, as a matter of fact, the joke uh, among the uh, Roman, uh, in the Roman palace, uh, Caesar Augustus says, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, at least safer. Uh, you're less likely to, be, to have your throat slit. And so when Herod finds out from the wise men that the king of the Jews has come, he knows exactly what to do. You nip the problem in the bud. And he sends his henchmen, his palace guard, to Bethlehem. And, and I just noticed that this morning, every once in a while, you know, you read scripture and you don't notice something. And I just noticed it this morning. And not just to Bethlehem, but the region around. And he had them kill every child under, under two. Most historians believe that's probably around, uh, considering the size of Bethlehem at the time, around 30 people. But how do you know how large the region was? And can you imagine 30 babies being murdered in Sugarland on Christmas? What kind of news would that be? How many of you parents who had children would start to get nervous and say, I'm not sure I want to be here. I don't think this is a place for me. How many fathers would say, he killed my son who's two, and I have another son who's four. What if he comes back? Or what if you're just outside the region and, and just a mile over, a farm is decimated by, and it's sadness by a child being slaughtered. And you say, what if the region wasn't large enough? So Mary and Joseph got up in the middle of the night and they ran. They ran for their lives. They took what they had. Uh, the picture on the front page, I think, has a Mary and Joseph on a donkey. I doubt it. As a matter of fact, they probably ran with a number of other people who were also refugees. Wow. Running to some place where an evil king could not reach them. Some of you may remember the story of Javad Kabiri. Javad and Carolyn were members here uh, at uh, Fishers before they moved to San Antonio. And uh, Javad's father was a cabinet member under the Shah of Iran. And when Javad was just a little boy, his father was arrested when the Iranian revolution occurred. And one night, the neighbors told his mother, turn on the television. There was a summary trial of the cabinet members and then the cameras went to the gallows and showed Javad's father being hanged. That night, Javad's mother got her two children in the car 
with what they had on, and they drove to Turkey so that they would also not be numbered among the dead. You see, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were refugees. Yes, they were refugees. This Christmas, a church in Claremont, California, caused an uproar when they depicted the Holy Family as refugees in a detention center behind chain-linked cages. They were not far from the truth, dear friends, because Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were indeed refugees. In fact, Mary might have looked more like this in Egypt. Now, while there was a Jewish community in Egypt, the family left with what they had on their backs, probably had to scrounge for some place to live, live in a tent or whatever could be borrowed or, or begged. As a matter of fact, they had no money. I mean, uh, you didn't carry cash in those days. How do you sell your, your carpenter's tools? Uh, they had very, very little. They went to a country where they didn't know the language. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this. When Jesus was a boy, he was probably more equipped to speak Egyptian than Hebrew. Think about that, Alan. Yeah. You know, and he, I wonder if Jesus spoke Egyptian with a Hebrew accent, or a Hebrew with an Egyptian accent, you know, because he grew up in, in Egypt. You don't even think about these things now there. Uh, and and no, remember, Mary and Joseph had other children, and so this might have been what Jesus and his family looked like, living in a refugee camp. Now, we know that Joseph was a carpenter, but we don't know whether he was a had his own firm, or he was just a guy who, uh, you know, carried the wood for the, the carpenter. And so where did Joseph get a job? How did he work? He probably stood outside Home Depot, like some of the, uh, uh, the people you have seen, hoping for work, hoping for work. I wonder, wonder how many people said, well, we don't know, we don't need too many of this, this kind here. wonder how many said, we need to build a wall. Send those people home. Just ask yourself what it must have been like for this family. Or maybe better, you should ask a family in the Eritrean service what it's like to have to leave your family and your home and the place that you love. Or go down to downtown Houston and ask a family from El Salvador what it's like to leave because the local branch of the narco gang wants your 12-year-old son for a gang member. And it's either become a gang member or be buried in a mass grave. God is the God of refugees. He's the God of runners from danger just as much as he is the God of homesteaders and deep roots people. In fact, God had told the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament that they were to take care of the homeless and the, the foreigner. Notice what uh, God says in Exodus 23. This is just a few chapters after the, the Ten Commandments. Do not oppress a foreigner. Your, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. People of Israel remembered when Joseph and his brothers landed in Egypt and became slaves for 400 years. Later on in Leviticus, this is what he says, the stranger lives as a foreigner with you, shall be to you as the native born among you. And you shall, read this with me, you shall love him as yourself. Let's read it again louder. You shall love him as yourself. 
For you lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All the way down through Jeremiah, this is what uh, the prophets said. Uh, Thus says the Lord, do not mistreat the vi- or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. To God, those who are as refugees in our country are as important to him as orphans and widows. Wow. See, from Moses to the later prophets, God poured out his concern for the world that ended up as neighbors of Judah and the people of promise. They were to be a safe haven. They were to be a place of refuge. They were to be the light of God's salvation. The light of the Gentiles is not just a nice song slogan. It had roots of the compassion of God's people to those who were on the run, just as God had compassion on them when they were on the run. And so it was no surprise to the followers of Jesus when this is what Jesus said. uh, Take care, or he says, I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Remember that. The disciples said, well, Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you a stranger? As much as you did it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Jesus replied. He said, I was a stranger. Next slide. I like that one to be bold. Next slide. There is. I was a stranger. Jesus was a stranger among us. Jesus, the refugee in this world of anger and fighting, knew so much about it. He knew what it meant to be to run from danger. And what a joy it is, my friends, that God understands us when we run from the danger either without or even within. When we struggle with that sin that, that overcomes us either from without or the sin from within. And that he restores us as his children to the joy of our salvation. Now God calls on us, my friends, to be friends of the friendless, a community to those who have left their homes. I'm so glad to be part of um, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and and some of the efforts that uh, our denomination has done in refugee resettling. As a matter of fact, I did not know this before I started this message, but uh, Pastor Braun, Pastor Stephen Braun, who we're commissioning today, is not going to be working with native Germans in Germany, but with uh, Middle East refugees. Uh, The whole The goal is to reach people who have come from a part of the world that we had no access to. What a joy it is to participate in that this morning. I am very proud of you at Fishers of Men. Uh, There's an Eritrean and a Congolese uh, congregation here. Isn't that a, that's a joy. And I understand Sunday morning, uh, or excuse me, Christmas morning was really cool because uh, it was sort of a a Congolese, uh, a whole different thing, Christmas Uh, in other languages. What a joy that is. But in your life, in your private life, in your speech, in your conversation with others, in your encouragement of elected officials, how do you, how do you speak? Do you let the God who calls on us to be kind and open to strangers modify your heart? I realize this is political, for many people, oh, this is a political, what should we, uh, is, is he telling us who to vote for or how to vote? It's a tough question. 
It's a hard problem. When we were in California, we had many people who were immigrants, and uh, for many different reasons and in many different statuses. But I know that we as individual Christians can reach out to people and assist and help in the name of Jesus, and what a joy that is when that happens. Do you obey God? Do you welcome Jesus the stranger, the refugee in your heart and your home? Because remember, you are not familiar with this world. As a follower of Jesus, you are a refugee as well. This last September, Mary and I felt a little bit what it was like to be refugees. Uh, after my retirement, we took a, a three-week uh, vacation to Germany uh, in um, my Wisconsin church. Uh, before I came to Texas, we had an exchange student uh, who now is 50 years old. Uh, <laughs> she's a, a grown lady. And she hosted us in her hometown of Hamburg, Germany. Uh, and we were there for three weeks and got a chance to enjoy the life and the culture. Now, I speak a little bit of, of German, Ambition Deutsch, for those of you who speak, but Mary does not. And um, for three weeks, my wife had to depend on me entirely. So uh, you can ask her what that was like. Uh, ooh, the, but um, uh, we did a lot of things just sort of normal. Uh, and when we needed clothes, we went to the laundromat. Well, you sort of have to figure out how to use the laundromat. First of all, it's in euros, and then it's in, you know, and uh, so one young man who spoke some English came and helped us, and so we got our clothes done. Well, the next week we came to do some more clothes, and uh, there was a lady who was struggling with this. Now, my German is not real good. She was Bulgarian. I've never met a Bulgarian in my life, but she spoke a little bit of German. And here we were, two people from different ends of the world, trying to figure out, and me teaching her what I knew about how to operate the laundromat. And after that, Mary made this comment. She said, you know, here we are. We're on a vacation. We're going home in a couple weeks. We have plenty of money. We have help here. And uh, we have no problem with this. You know, I, I mean, we, we have no worries about our security. What must it be like to be in a new country where maybe you're not wanted, uh, where maybe you don't speak the language, where you don't have security? What must that be like? You see, my friends, we realize as Christians that we are part of a world that does not accept us as well. As a matter of fact, Paul said this to the Philippians, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. For we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. We are not from here. People might say, well, where are you from? You say, oh, I'm from Sugarland, Texas. Or uh, if you're from uh, the, rest of the, in the rest of the country, say, I'm from Texas. I'm proud of that. Uh, and even if you're over in Germany, you say, I'm from Texas. And they know that. That's great. But you're not. You're from heaven. And your citizenship is there. You might be Americans, but that's second. Your first citizenship is in heaven. And so, to some degree, my friends, we don't belong here. Don't be surprised. This world will treat you like a refugee. I don't know how many of you heard the, uh, the news over Christmas. Eleven Christians in Nigeria were killed by the Boko Haram. Uh, they just sought them out randomly from a village they could attack, uh, because the uh, U.S. military has 
killed al-Baghdadi, the, uh, uh, the um, al-Qaeda uh, operative uh, leader, and they wanted to do something to Christians in reprisal for that. These people had nothing to do with it. They had nothing to do with it. But just because they bore the name of Jesus, they were taken on Christmas Day to spend their Christmas Day with the Lord. Even in the United States, it's tough. Many Christian colleges have been in jeopardy lately. Recently, some have been asked to conform with secularist ideology or they'll lose their accreditation. Our own colleges in the, uh, uh, in the Lutheran system have had challenges this way. Public schools are getting hit. Students groups like InterVarsity have been kicked off of campuses. One teacher in New Jersey was suspended for giving a student a Bible. Don't expect that we are not refugees here too because we are part of the world and the world hates us. That um, the Christmas story in John, uh, maybe you knew, didn't know that there's a Christmas story in John uh, which says, in the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Said, And um, he came into the world, that which he created, but the world would not receive him. Uh, Pastor Bauer spoke on John 3.16 and Christmas Eve. said, for God so loved the world. But whenever John, the gospel writer, uses the term world, it's not just neutral as a plot of land meaning nothing. The world is that which God's created, which has turned against him. Jesus came to the world, and the world would not receive him. Do you think they're going to do anything different to you? The world will not receive you. And it's going to be tougher for Christians. It will be. But that's okay, because our citizenship is in heaven. And so be bold as you uh, walk through this world as a refugee. Don't be afraid of it heard of one uh, kid who uh, went to college. Dad was sort of nervous because the university was noted to be a very uh, antagonistic place to Christians. Uh, Dad was sort of nervous, but on Christmas the son came back and Dad said, well, how has it been this first semester in college? Uh, have they uh, laughed at you for being a Christian? Have you been scorned? Has there been any persecution? He said, don't worry, Dad, nobody even found out. <laughs> Ooh. Make sure the world finds out, my friends, because you are a child of God. See what Peter calls us? We're foreigners and refugees. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. You see, uh, next slide. Again, we're gonna, I, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to live your lives according to your holy calling because Jesus has called you to be a fellow refugee in this world a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, sometimes it's tough. We live in a world that does not appreciate us as followers of your Son. But we pray that you would give us strength, just as Joseph and Mary did, to live as refugees. Help us to open our hearts to those who live in this world as the world's refugees. For we understand them. We love them with your love because we see in them your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.